0: By Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.
1: Welcome, welcome to Game Over Montreal. I'm Andrew Berkshire, as always, and I guess we have some stuff to talk about tonight. The Montreal Canadiens lose to the Florida Panthers. It wasn't a three-point game, so you can be happy about that. There's uh, some good news in the whole tanking thing, but uh, obviously the refs completely lost control of this game uh, from the first period on. I think I've got my webcam covered right now, but that's okay. We'll fix that. Uh, now you can see me as well as hear me. Uh, yeah, it was just a mess. Uh, a total mess. Uh, complete uh, destruction of like the game having any meaning whatsoever by the officials in this one. And uh, there's going to be lots to talk about, obviously. But um, I've got Hattie Kadokashi on with us. We're going to talk about uh, some prospects because the Canadians obviously own both of the first-round picks between these two teams, and uh, you know, I guess we'll talk about Sam Montembeau a little bit because I feel like this game unfairly destroyed his uh, his numbers. But uh, let's let's get right into it because I feel like we're gonna have some fireworks tonight, and maybe some people will get excited about. <laughs> what we're talking about, but before I welcome in Hattie, I gotta ask you, you think, the let's try that again, I gotta ask you, think you know what way it's gonna go, make your bet with Sports Interaction, whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered, bet pre-game, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets, Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out, join now, and see all sports betting has to offer, wanna bet, Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn19+. plus. Please play responsibly. All right, let's welcome in Hattie. Hattie, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I mean, frankly, that game was entertaining. Uh, yeah. I will say that. That's a word. But my God, the brutal missed calls in that game, and not just by the officials because I think the uh, the first goal the Panthers scored absolutely should not have counted, just mm-hmm. by the way the rules are written, by the yeah. way it's always been called. But I, I counted it down going into the third period. Nick Suzuki has a breakaway, and a Florida Panther defenseman just takes his stick away. Mm-hmm. No, no call. Mike Matheson lays a brutal reverse-hit headshot on Eric Stahl. That yeah. goes uncalled. The puck is like four or five feet away from them. you know. And then you've got the non-call and the goalie interference, which I alluded to. And there was another one that I'm forgetting now. Oh, the hit on, hit from behind on Jack at the end of the second period. Yep. So I think from the Matheson hit, there's already the potential of this game boiling over. Mm-hmm. Then they let the Jack Eye hit go. These guys are fools.
0: Yeah, they just lost control of this game entirely. I think that, you know, if, if you want a playbook, like if you want a game to show new refs in terms of, you know, hey, this is how you lose control of the game. This this was it. It was textbook. Letting things fly that shouldn't, a bunch of missed calls, a bunch of um, weird calls on goals and stuff like that. It was just, you know, it was just a mess. And um, at the end of the day, you know, the Habs did what they could, but honestly, they just got outplayed. Um, yeah. by the Panthers. The Panthers' record right now, I mean, they shouldn't be the 11th worst team in the NHL based on the way they play. They play a really rough style. They they, they they push a lot offensively. They keep pressure active in the offensive zone really well. It's just It's just a matter of time before things get sort of replaced with them. And it's mainly because of the injuries they've suffered, I think. That's sort of what's derailed their season a bit. They lost a bit of offensive depth, and now they have to rely on certain pieces too much. Um, but I, I wouldn't bet on them staying where they are right now.
1: You think they're going to make the playoffs though? Cause the uphill battle seems extreme. Like they're in, like they're close to a spot right now, but they have to basically leapfrog the Islanders, the Penguins, the Sabres and Philadelphia is trying to catch up to them as well. And they have like, all those teams have games in hand on them.
0: Yeah, no, that's the rough part. I'd I'd be surprised if they do make the playoffs, but you know, I, I think they do remain. I, I think the Habs will get a pick somewhere between you know, 12 and 15, 16, uh, that's the range I see them going. They might just miss the playoffs. Obviously every point counts. So when they go on in, you know, on rough stretches like they did recently and uh, you know, at the start of the season, it just, it creates instability within the team. It makes it tough for teams to build momentum and chain together five, six, seven wins. Like you have to, when you're in this position and want to make the playoffs. So yeah, I think it's sort of a little too late. Uh, in in their case, he might leapfrog. They almost definitely will leapfrog the Islanders. I think the Sabres will never inevitably, inevitably do what they do every year, which is just plummet halfway through the season. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't see them staying at eleven right now in terms of the draft pick. But I I don't really see them making the playoffs either.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a bad place to be. But yeah, you know it they could be slightly worse for the Panthers if they were to finish lower and then give a divisional rival and even higher pick but yep. I'm I'm still holding that hope that uh, Paul Maurice is the losingest coach in NHL history <laughs> and the goaltending I, was, I mean I think Leon was pretty good tonight but overall I don't they kept on calling him Lion but I am pretty sure his name is Leo but mm-hmm. uh, maybe he's American but uh
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I the goaltending hasn't been as good this year compared to last year and I feel like one of the issues that Florida has aside from you know I think Matt Kachuk has been great but yep. maybe hasn't had the chemistry that uh, Huberto has had on the power play. But uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of guys had career years for Florida last year. Yep. And it, as much as, you know, I think Sam Bennett and Sam Reinhart in particular have been really unlucky, mm-hmm. you can't bet on them having career years again the following year, and that's kind of hurt them.
0: Yeah, no, see, big trades like this, it's so rare for, you know, year one to be a loss for both teams. And I think this is sort of a case here. Uh, the Panthers gave up a lot from for, uh, for Matt Kachuk. Uh, for me, giving up Mackenzie Wegar, who, in my opinion, was their best defender last year. um, And, and for a couple of years now, it's just you know that on top of Huberto. I mean, Huberto right now is struggling as well. He's no different oh, yeah. than Matthew Kachuk in that case. Um, So that's what I mean by this trade kind of being a, a losing trade for both teams in year one. But I think that um as, as things materialize, we'll have a clearer winner. Just right now, it, it it's so weird to see both of them struggle, but I guess it's just getting sort of used to the new environment, the new locker room, the new chemistry that you have to build up. That kind of plays into it. But yeah, no, it's just a strange, strange thing for a trade that big. A real, you know, one of the biggest blockbuster trades we've seen in recent, you know, in, re- in a recent while, to have that be a losing sort of trade in year one for both teams is just strange to me.
1: Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's a tough situation for the Calgary Flames. I feel like the the Panthers didn't necessarily need to make that move, though. It's yep. it's, it's weird. But uh, let's stop talking about the Florida Panthers for now, <laughs> unless we're talking about the the pick. Let's talk about the Montreal Canadiens, who
0: mm-hmm.
1: obviously, I think, started this game relatively well. I yep. thought uh, they played really well in the first period. Uh, I know that uh, they weren't as good as the Panthers, for sure. Mm-hmm. But coming out of that period, I'm surprised. I'm looking at a natural stat trick, and it has the Canadiens down for one high-danger chance in the first period. Yeah, But I know for a fact they definitely had three. They hit the post twice, like right in front of the net, and then Caulfield had that one time. I mean, I guess it's not technically high danger based on location on the ice, but like Mm. a cross crease one timer on what looked like an empty net and a fantastic save by Leon slash Lion. I I would not have said it would be that lopsided based on Mm. watching the game.
0: Yeah, that, that second was brutal, though. Um, mm-hmm. the Habs were struggling to create momentum off the rush or struggling to break out. Uh the Panthers did a great job of putting pressure at the offensive blue line, like setting up shop there so that every turnover would turn into another turnover for them. Um it, it, it was just a it was just a great job by them to sort of hem in the Habs, benefit from the, the inexperience in that lineup. And just overall, the Habs again seemed flat footed. I think that's been one of the main consistent factors this year is that a lot of the veterans especially seemed to constantly get their, you know, miss their passes by an inch or two, uh, you, you know, struggle to skate with momentum to create passing plays off the rush. Like we saw um, under Claude Julien, for example, that was a sort of staple of their game is that, that, that rush game, uh, quick passing plays, quick transition, counter-attack, um it's just been rough overall for the Habs and i think that second period was sort of the the, the epitome of that
1: yeah it, it was rough you know and and i think you can look back on it from like the Canadiens fan perspective and say like <laughs> that first goal that florida scored should not have counted i think the challenge by marty st louis was a very smart challenge yeah. as much as people were trying to argue it you know post hoc but uh getting punished for it afterwards with the extra penalty yeah which it's such a wild situation in the NHL right now where like the refs and the league itself just will not do their job and rely on a coach to challenge a play. Uh But then if the coach gets it wrong or if the league decides that they're going to say like, I'm assuming that the, like the reasoning for the call they made was -hmm. that they decided that Sam Montembeau wouldn't have been able to get over to save that puck anyway. If Matt Kachuk, wasn't in the way, yep. but that's not the rule. I because-
0: maintain. I just maintain that it's so strange to me that in hockey, the only person in the whole rank that gets punished for a, for a missed call is the coach. It just, yeah, you know, if for me, like the amount of errors that refs make in a game, like you'd expect them to understand, I guess, but it's just, it's it's a weird choice. I, I think the rule should have stayed the way it was, which was that if you had a timeout, you lost it. And if you did, yep. if you use your timeout, then you got a penalty. I think that's a fairer exchange than straight up giving your a team a two-minute bench minor for delay of game for, what, like a, a minute and a half review, you know? like Yeah. I don't know.
1: Well, and especially, like, I understand it a little bit more for, like, an offside challenge because yeah. I, I hate offside challenges. Like, yeah. to me, if the challenge takes more than, like, five seconds – for an offside challenge, I don't care. It didn't impact the game at all. Yeah, no, exactly. You know?
0: Like on but, top of that, what I think is, you know, about the offside challenges is that because it's such an avoidable thing, like we've got goal line technology in soccer, we've got gotten, we've had it in tennis for decades, you know, it would be such an avoidable problem that I think that you know, once the NHL catches up technologically and has sort of puck technology to track offsides, then you can revert back to that rule. You know what I mean? Because yeah, at that point, you're not wasting time on trivial things. You're actually, you know, the call gets done quickly. In fact, it should almost get done automatically. Um, I think it's just a matter of time before the, the old heads catch up in that sense.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, and I'm seeing there's uh, Panthers fans in the comments saying, refs suck as usual and i think that's the, that should be the takeaway from this game Is i don't think like canadians fans are looking at this game and be like oh i'm so upset that we lost because the refing was so terrible i think panthers fans are upset about the officiating too because yeah like, it was terrible that matheson hit alone like i think you could make an argument
0: that could be that reviewed
1: it could be a suspension yeah because yeah, it was it was a hit to the head it wasn't like blindside but like he did kind of blindside him because you don't expect to get hit when the puck's 100%. not near either of you. Yeah. Like, I'm a fan of the reverse hit when the puck carrier has the puck. Yeah, of course. Right? You're engaged in a battle, but that's just ch- like, imagine somebody did that on icing play.
0: That would be horrible. But yeah. th- that's the thing. It reminds me of this this play that, that Kirby Doc got a penalty for for something like way lighter than that. The puck was literally within uh, reaching distance of the opposing player. He goes in for a hit, gets called for interference, goes to the penalty box, cusses out the ref. Shout, he he um, he like shut the door real hard to the penalty box and got an extra two minutes for um uh, you know mis- yeah misconduct. Like it's it's just. It's so funny to me the inconsistency league wide, but even within a single game in terms yep. of officiating. And I understand that it's such a fast sport. Like, you know, I, I scout for a living. That's that's the thing that you know I, I've I've sort of had to train my eye to. is just the quickness of the game, and you know, I have the opportunity to pause and and slow mo stuff that that is too fast for me. Like, I understand the rest perspective of you know they're in they're in the heat of it. There's four heads on the ice sometimes. They're all four of them or puck watching. Things happen. But man, there there's needs, There has to be a better way.
1: There, and you know what? There is yeah. off ice officials. I've been saying this for years now. Mm-hmm. The NHL needs to institute it. Like, not only would you ha- be able to have off ice officials with mics uh, that the refs could talk to them in like the balcony or whatever, yeah, in the Bell Center. You could put rookie refs off ice first. So that they're play, say that, uh, I don't know what the official schedule is for like number of games they-, they do a year, but I think it's like over 100, which, yeah, that's exhausting.
0: That's a boatload
1: of games. It is. And like, it- yeah. I know they're struggling to find refs because it's a tough job. And nobody is going to like come in here and say it's easy to be an NHL referee. 100%. or It's like a- an amazing job where there's no downsides. There's huge downsides. The travel schedule is brutal. The amount of games that you have to do, like, you're skating. Way more than an NHL. 60 does.
0: minutes a game and more. Yeah,
1: it's it's wild. Yeah. And a lot of these guys are older, too. So it, it takes a lot out of you, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But train guys where they're playing, they're doing half of their season or even more as off ice officials for the first two to three years where they can communicate with veteran officials, learn their perspective on the ice. You know, like it's basically like an apprenticeship program. And then you're getting into the into the into games and you have a different perspective it teaches also humility for like if you mess up a call and somebody upstairs is saying hey you missed this okay but I I just don't understand what the resistance is to it because I don't see the downside unless it's officials themselves being you know egotistical and saying like well I don't want somebody overruling me which I don't know if that's the case I don't like I'm sure there are some but I don't think refs writ large are like that upset with you know like helping them get the right call. I feel like most people want to get the right call.
0: Yeah I mean if you want my honest to God opinion I just don't think the NHLC even considered this. I, I think it's really that simple. Um but yeah no it's a fantastic idea. It, it would it would sort of help it's, it's kind of like VAR in soccer, right? You know yep. like just having like a bird's eye view with cameras, slow-mo's, all that in order to catch the stuff that needs to be caught. If you want to clean up the game and supposedly make the sport safer for for your employees, I think the best way to do it is I mean, if you work at McDonald's, you you've got footage, on, you you've got like video cameras on you checking to make sure you're doing the right thing. I think that, you know, having that in the NHL isn't sort of a ridiculous or or absurd idea. You know, it just makes sense.
1: Yeah, it I'm saying, and I'll continue to beat the drum off ice officials. It's needed in the NHL. The game has become too fast and the rules are too vague. We need to overhaul the rule book a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. And also like give us some breakdowns on what goalie interference is because every year that I can remember as an adult that Matthew Kachuk situation is a goaltender interference call you can't get in the way of a goaltender in the crease it's it's just not allowed doesn't matter where they are doesn't matter who initiates contact and for for anybody who would say like oh well the shot was going in anyway no because it was a penalty and then you have to pull the the play dead like as soon as the player has possession so like no it it should not have counted but either way let's move on from the refs because i'm tired of talking about them (laughs) and
0: (laughs) the issue every game we might as well just move on exactly I will say I enjoyed
1: how much fire the Canadians brought in the third period. The, yep. They didn't go out there headhunting. They got into three fights, which is, I guess you could say headhunting. But, you know, Jacques, I surprisingly didn't initiate his fight. I feel like yep. he was hesitant to get into it with, with Smith, which maybe is because he knew how that fight was going to go. <laughs> but uh, they just played really hard. They went for guys mostly legally. They had a couple like late hits, but they weren't like from behind or anything. Mm-hmm. Kirby Doc, especially. Yep. He was throwing his weight around. Like him and Suzuki both wiped out Gudis hard.
0: Yep. No, they got tired of him pretty much. Uh, Gudis was doing the usual do Gouda stuff, and they just decided, hey, I mean, two can play this game. And that's what I love about sort of Kirby Doc's development is that he has grown like different parts of his game um i think his stride depth of, has improved massively he's he's worked on his skating a lot evidently um his work along the boards has improved so much he's able to to box off uh defenders hands and all that but all that has afforded him the liberty of tweaking his game to the the the, the time frame of, of the game and and the score you know like he wouldn't be doing this in a tied game he wouldn't be doing this in, in a game where the Habs have an opportunity to come back or they're defending a lead um, but he's doing so many good things on the ice that he can afford to have a shift where all he does is just throw his potty around. And that's just fun. It's fun hockey for a player who's honestly deserved it, you know, struggling a lot um, with Chicago in terms of gelling with their top ends, um, gets traded, you know, honestly, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the trade. It was mainly because Frank Nazar was still available at the, at the 2022 draft with the the pick the Habs picked up. I would have loved to have him, but word around the block was that it was between Noel Ostlund and uh Jonathan Nikerimaki for the Habs at that spot if they kept the pick, ended up trading it for Kirby Dock. For me, that's just a fantastic pickup. Being able to turn Alex Romanov in a couple of seconds into, into Kirby Dock is fantastic.
1: Yeah, the huge huge play from he's, from Kent Hughes and it just keeps on getting line. better.
0: Yeah. And I mean he's driving his line right now. It's, he is. He's genuinely they had to separate him from Suzuki and Caulfield because he was he was driving that line too well to be a winger. So they decided let's give him a shot at center at 2C and it's working out great for him right now. Um there there was one the last game on Tuesday that the Habs played there was a play where I thought it was Josh Anderson barreling down the wing in possession using crossovers and, and building up speed with, you know, huge strides. And then I see that that first seven. I'm like, wait, that's Kirby Dock. It's just, <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. He's grown so much in terms of his overall game, his impact. Um, just his ability to, to to man transitions exceptionally. I don't think there's a better transition driver, you know, on the Habs team than Kirby Dock right now.
1: No, there. I don't think so either. Maybe Mike Matheson from the back end, but yeah. even then... Like it's a totally different situation that we're talking about. And to your to excuse you, if I remember correctly, I think the exact play that you're talking about, the play by play person, Brian Mudrick from T S N also thought it was Josh Anderson <laughs> when that exact play happened. Yeah. So very easy to to make that mistake with the two sevens and then playing on the same line. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I was impressed with the the pushback from the Canadians and, and not just folding in this one because it looked in the second like they were gonna fold. And yeah. I, I would love to hear the explanation on why Jackey got the ten minute misconduct. Although I do think it was a smart decision to mm-hmm. try to cool things down. Yeah. But just it's weird to have one guy restrained and four Florida Panthers in there throwing glove punches. But yeah, yeah, uh,
0: they had to nerf him. That's all it was. Yeah. If you if you throw, if you keep if you allow Jack Eye to play those ten minutes, um, it, it would it was just hit the rails. I don't yep. think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: they had to. They had no choice. Although I would have taken off all the Panthers too, you know? like mm-hmm. it, it, It's stupid stuff like that where it's just like, well, we'll award the team that's getting pounded. Or yeah. it's not getting pounded. Uh, that's that has got the score going in their favor. Mm-hmm. I, I will say uh, I feel bad for Sam Montembeau tonight because yeah. he was phenomenal to start this game, and he's been phenomenal the last several games. We brought him up on the last broadcast where he went up against... You know, head-to-head against Sorokin, Shisterkin, and Hellebuck, out-battled two of the three of them, posted yep. a 9.52 save percentage over those games, and then tonight, came out, was playing just as well, pretty much,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the power plays just murdered him tonight. Yep. I felt so bad for the kid. How, how do you see see Montembeau, like, his future? Cause obviously, we're talking small sample size, but mm-hmm. this whole season, I, I think he's been the better Canadian's goaltender, and... Yep more consistent one as well.
0: He's he's a short term solution, in my opinion. You know, during this this supposed rebuild, if you're able to throw him in there, have him sort of ballot it out, keep his keep his, you know, team in the game just long enough for the the youngsters to gain experience, to play in tight scenarios, to learn how to how to navigate those two, two, three, three games. Um I, I think that that is sort of what you need from Maltembo. I don't think he's their long-term solution. I don't think that Montembeau is going to be the, the, the goaltender of the franchise. No, oh, I yeah, hear no. that, but I think that during this rebuild, it's an intelligent thing to have him there um, and, and sort of man the pipes. I think Jake Allen could get a decent return. And if you can keep Montalbo and and Primo in in, in net for the next you know three, four years until the youngsters mature, Nick Nick Suzuki actually takes this team by the reins, Uh, Cole Caulfield scoring 50, Yaroslav Koski hopefully, hopefully is playing in the top six. Uh, I I think that, you know, if you can get to that point with Montalbo and Primo in net, I think you're set.
1: Yeah. 100%. I'm just, uh, I'm wondering, like, Caden Primo, I think he's been officially passed on the death chart for the next several years in terms of, like, who's going to kind of hold down the fort while they're rebuilding mm-hmm. uh, by Sam Montembeau. I know th- there's not that much of an age gap between them, yep. but, uh, I, like, Caden Primo tonight, I felt bad for him as well. He comes in, doesn't face a shot for a, a long stretch, and <laughs> the first shot he faces is, like, a. it's got to be, like, a 30% XG shot tip in right in front of his cage.
0: Yep.
1: Zero percent save percentage for like the first 10 minutes of the third period. I felt horrible for him. Yep. But uh he seemed to battle it out a little bit towards the end of the game there. How are you feeling about Caden Primo and, and how he's played this season?
0: Listen, it's been rough. I, I think he's kind of been um you know, confidence is such a huge thing for netminders. Just being confident in your ability to stop a puck will, will help you a ton. I think that the the entire sort of situation with Primo is he headed out of, um, he headed out of the NCAA, just dominating. Um, he he was excellent, especially in his final year with, with Northeastern, I believe. Um, and just the way it sort of devolved for him in in Laval, um, it it kind of sort of puts the it, it kind of just stops you in your tracks when you're trying to build momentum for your career and i think that that was sort of a, a key teaching moment but the thing with goaltenders is they often develop really late so i'm not exceptionally worried about primo i think there's still um you know a sort of fringe starter sort of build within him you have to dig deep for it. You might have to wait a couple of years, but I think that Primo could step in and sort of share the crease with Maltampo in, in the next, you know, three or four years.
1: Yeah. It makes sense. Um, before we get into the prospect stuff, I'm just looking at uh, Kay in the chat. is posting some of the uh, post-game press conference stuff. And yep. Jack, I is dragging uh, Radko Gudis in the post-game presser Awesome for never answering the bell after taking runs at guys' knees. And he 100% tried to take out Doc's knees at the end yep. of that game, which was just straight-up hurt feelings, because when Doc hit him, it was not cheap. Mm-hmm. Just pushed him over in the corner. Like It was a puck battle. Yeah, was- He got the better of you. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate. I haven't seen any... I guess uh, St. Louis hasn't spoken yet that I've seen, but I'm interested to see if he gets the $25,000 fine that Paul Maurice got after their last game. Yeah, if yeah, I yeah. were St. Louis, I would not. I think you save your bullets for when the games matter.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: as much as he wants to win and he, he understands it's a rebuilding year. I feel like it's just not worth it. How, yeah. how about you?
0: I, I, I truly think that St. Louis should just try his best not to, to comment on the officiating. And, you know, just I understand wanting to defend your, 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 your guys. I think that it's important that um, he shows the will to do it, but I think that a bit of restraint would help a lot in this situation. The, the, the attention would be taken off of the poor performance and all the indiscipline and um, all, all the stuff you can point to and say, like, hey, this was a rough game for them. Sure, but I mean, even on a financial standpoint, I don't think having a $25,000 fine to his name is a good idea right now um
1: so sounds like he has spoken he said the challenge was on the gray side so that that's uh, he's not being that he's not he's
0: not getting fined for that no i'm I'm almost certain almost i never
1: know i think they get fined when they say things that are over the line right or when they call into question like integrity saying like it was a close call or like in the gray area i don't think the nhl cares about that i think they they understand emotions but uh, other than that, yeah. All right, so let's get into some prospect talk because, oh, yeah. as we mentioned off the top of the show, the Canadians own the first-round pick for both of these teams. I think it's more fun to focus on the Panthers at the moment mm-hmm. because everybody knows what's at stake with the Canadians' pick yep. in how high they could go um, You know, if they managed to win the lottery somehow or... Mm-hmm. If they lose out for the rest of the year and somehow fall down enough to be given a higher chance to win the lottery. But the Panthers pick, unlikely to win the lottery. Pretty unlikely to be in the bottom 11 that could shoot up to number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's some great players available in the middle of the first round this year. So if you had your pick, Hattie, if you could just give us like two or three players in the middle of that first round that you'd be eyeing if you were the Montreal Canadiens.
0: Man, it's, it really does depend on sort of whether you're looking at who I like or who I think will be available, because there's guys I have in my top 15 that I know for sure might very well be second rounders um, come draft day, but I think that they've got a ton of talent. One guy uh, who's like that is Jaden Perron, um, the the offensive skill, the goal scoring ability, the ability to cut inside consistently on players. He's constantly pushing the middle. Um, he plays for a, a premium organization in the Chicago Steel in the USHL. He's five eight hundred and fifty seven pounds, so almost definitely not going to be a top fifteen pick. Uh, it's extremely extremely rare for players under five nine to get drafted that high, but. Man, I love this kid. I mean, the goal-scoring ability, the the goal-scoring touch is already really good. He's got a tremendous release. Yeah, on top of that, his ability to delay, to make plays off the rush, um, to cycle the puck. Um, He's really strong down low as well for for a guy of his size. So, you know, that would be one guy I look at. But in terms of sort of who's realistically going to be there, uh, I think that Mikhail Guliaev would actually be a not bad pickup for the Habs. I know he's a left-handed defenseman, but... Um, right now I've got him at 12th overall and he's probably going to be available in in the 15 range just because of, you know, Russian, obviously. Um, but you look even further, I think Riley height would be a great pickup as well. He can double as a wing or a center. Um, he's playing tremendously for the Prince George, Prince George Cougars in the WHL right now. Um, one scout I was talking to actually compared him to sort of a better version of Yanni Gord. Um, now I'll be interesting and interested in having a player like that, you know, fill out the top six for the Canadians. I don't think he's going to be a top liner, but a really, really good second liner who can double as a center or a wing, play on the PK, play on the power play, do a bit of everything. Uh, relentless, intense, great playmaker. I mean, he's one guy I would look out with the Panthers pick. But if you're really looking for a right-handed defenseman, I guess you could take a shot at a guy. Um, I mean Axel Sandin Palika, if, if he's available at fifty, and I'm I'm running to the stage, but I think he's going to be a sort of top ten prospect. Um, in terms of where he gets picked up, because teams trying to, they, they tend to blow the gun early on on defensemen, especially right-handed defensemen. We can see that in the twenty nineteen draft. Um, but if Sandy Pelica is not available, I'd go for David Reinbacher. I was really, really impressed with him at the World Juniors. Went back and watched some tape of him. I mean, the league he's playing in right now, it's not sort of a, a bum league. It's it's a, its a pro league with a lot of players who um, were, are ex-NHLers because it's a league that pays really well uh, in Switzerland. So you got, you know, Canadian ex-NHLers that are playing in that league and he is just dominating in terms of points, in terms of production, um, as a right handed defenseman, he's big, he moves extremely well, he's a tremendous breakout facilitator. Um, I've got him at 19, but he could easily be, you know, that guy at 15 for the Habs,
1: yeah, for sure. Um, Peron, mm-hmm. do you think he goes higher in this draft because of someone like Cole Caulfield?
0: <laughs> That's an excellent question. I-, I think that Caulfield is sort of a unicorn in his sense because despite the fact you know Perron still has you know a, an inch on him he's still got some weight on him compared to Caulfield's weight in his draft year. Caulfield was almost five six in his draft yeah. year. and it's it's extremely extremely rare for players under 58 to, to even make the NHL the numbers astronomically slow uh, small but you know, the thing with Perron is he's got more playmaking ability than Caulfield. Um, definitely, you know, his shot is about half of Caulfield's is, but if you can get a 25 goal scorer who can put up, you know, 35, 40 assists, that's why I've got him at 13th overall. Um, that's why I like him. But I, I think that teams are still stuck. Um, I think that Daniel Boot gets drafted before Jaden Perron. And I think that's a crime. I genuinely do. Uh, Daniel Boot is in my honorable mentions. I did a top 50. Um I think he gets drafted before Jaden Perron and it's just it's not fair because for me Jaden Perron exemplifies what I look for in a small player. Um, plays inside contact, cuts to the middle, um, great pace of play, extremely reactive and smart. He's got a tremendous shot, he's got dual threat ability with that playmaking as well. Extremely extremely good stick handler. Um just he, he just he controls the game, and that's rare for five eight players. He's just pretty much the textbook definition of what I look for in a small guy. So I think he should be a top 15 prospect. I don't think it happens, though. I, th- I think that you know, Caulfield's situation is exceptional because you knew you were getting a top end goal scorer in him, that his right. size wouldn't matter. I think that Perron, there might be questions about whether his size is going to affect this game. I don't think it will. Um, but again, I think that Danil Boot gets drafted before him, and that's a crime.
1: Yeah. be one of those guys also that teams with multiple picks are like, well, let's see if he falls a little bit further. Right. And that mm-hmm. kind of artificially causes him to fall down in, into like the high second round, low first round kind of situation. Maybe yep. a team like trades up in the bottom of the first round for him something like that. Are we like talking
0: that. about Lane Hudson right now? Because it sounds like we're talking about Lane
1: Hudson. <laughs> it does sound like we're talking about Lane Hudson, but hey, <laughs> yeah. adding a second Lane Hudson to the organization doesn't sound like a bad idea to me. Mm, yeah. uh, there's a bunch of comments on here talking about Quentin Musty. Mm. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name, but yep. uh, Quentin Musty is a must draft for val- for name value alone, says Trezak. So there's yep. a bunch of dusty Musty fans <laughs> in the chat, which is always fun. Um, here's a question for you that i I keep on seeing, obviously um there's a Instagram account that's getting dragged a little bit for taking Ryan Kennedy's comments out of uh context on Matt Vimichkov. Yeah. But there seems to be a continuing trend between like the Russian factor and what his contract looks like with the KHL and you know, like the general like chaos around Russia right now. Mm. It seems like Michkov's value, not value, but like his stock is dropping a little bit. Yeah. And I know like I talked to a bunch of scouts last year and they were saying like after Bedard, he's the second most talented player in the draft, hmm. might be even a better goal scorer. And obviously Bedard in the World Juniors this year where Mitchkoff wasn't able to be there because Russia yeah. didn't participate, has taken all the attention. And Adam Fantilli got dragged in the world juniors for putting up better numbers than Sidney Crosby did at a, at a, as a 17 year old yep. so, or a 16 year old, no 17 year old. Mm-hmm. So got to put that in context for poor Adam Yeah, But, uh, Mitch if he falls to like four or five or even six, is you, you see that as like a remote possibility or is he just oh, yeah. too good? And all this is noise.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my tier three to six has him at third. Um, I think he could easily slip to six. I think the teams might even be like, if, if there's some concerns with this play right now, I'm not going to deny that. I, I'm still a big Mischkoff fan. I still think that his ability to stick handle in tight, to just play in tight to the net. I don't know if you've ever played NHL, but he's he's that guy with um, the close quarter zone ability who just constantly gets goals from like three feet around the net. And there's nothing you can do. It's just his ability to squeeze pucks in. I, I just love it. But There's a real issue with his his shot selection right now. I mean, he shoots from everywhere. It's not like Cole Caulfield where there's some rhyme or reason to it. There are situations where he's got no chance. He's firing right in the goalie's crest from literally the corner, the left corner of the net. but his, his skill is undeniable. I mean, I think he knows that what he's doing right now won't work at the NHL level. I, I, th- I see enough intelligence in his game that I think that he understands that he's just sort of wild-carding it right now and trying to rack up points. But I, I think that that alone could have him drop in the rankings, maybe even past the top 10. I've seen him outside a couple top 10s. Um, I still think the skill is undeniable. And if the Habs are able to pick him up, let's say with the seventh overall pick, I'm more than happy. I love this prospect.
1: Yeah, that's like where I am right now. Where like obviously everybody wants Connor Bedard because how could you not? Mm-hmm. But if the Canadians end up picking sixth or seventh and come away with Madve Mityagov, I I just can't see anybody being disappointed. I don't remember if it was on the broadcast or when we were talking after it, mm-hmm. but we had Rachel Dory on last show and she was talking about. Her model that she built to like project prospects and yep. the two closest comparables for Mitchkov were Evgeny Malkin and Nikita Kucherov. Yep. And
0: at, I, I believe his point per game rate right now in the KHL with HK Sochi is higher than Ovechkin's in this draft year. It is. Yeah. Which is absurd. It is higher. It's just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, no, there, there's a couple guys who I think might just trump him in the rankings that shouldn't. Ryan Leonard to me this year might just be uh this year's um Karagotche. Um, Guy who goes maybe fifth, sixth, seventh ahead of guys who are clearly head and shoulders above him. Um, Who I still love, by the way. I I love both Carter Goethe and Ryan Leonard, but I don't think either should be top five talents. Um, But yeah, there's a a bunch of guys like that who might lead frog Mishkov just because of certainty. I think that there's a lot of uncertainty in Mishkov's game, and it's mainly because of him playing this sort of weird run-and-gun, shoot-from-everywhere style, but I I think that that fades away with time because he is so intelligent with the puck. His ability to hit seams, um, to to stick handle. I mean, even if, if you just look at his stick handling in isolation, there's so much intelligence in there. The way he throws opponents off course with head fakes and body fakes. He's constantly scanning, uh, the defender's feet in order to see which direction he's he's facing, and being able to to stick handle across his feet to sort of make sure that the, the defenseman is always backpedaling or readjusting or pivoting. Um, you just see the intelligence overall in this game and just add that to a tremendous goal scoring ability with that shot. It's just, it's a deadly combination. You might end up being the best goal scorer out of this draft. And that's saying something given who was at first overall. So yeah, no kidding. Like, mm-hmm. I
1: think that's what sells me. So high on, on Mishkov. Is like, there's actually a legit shot that he could be a better goal scorer than Connor Bedard. And, just watching Connor Bedard, he is absurd. Yep. Like, he has a better... How many NHLers would you say right now have a better shot than 17-year-old Connor Bedard?
0: If I'm honest, none.
1: None? I Not like even his, Austin Matthews?
0: I like his shot more than Matthews. And that's ridiculous oh, to say.
1: It's, that is ridiculous to say. His curl
0: and drag release, I think, is on par with Matthews. Um, I think that his one timing ability and his ability to shoot um, off the snapper, you know, just keeps moving his feet and is able to to just shoot pucks in top corner um, while in motion. I think that ability is, is what sets him sets him just ahead of Matthews. Again, this is like it's it's out there, and I understand that. And I am what I'm saying is I don't think that Connor Bedard's shot right now is better than Matthews. I think when all said and done, Connor Bedard has a better shot than Austin Matthews in this. Program. Okay. Yeah
1: okay, that I I get that I feel like you're saying like the tools are better yeah, right hundred percent that'll develop into a better situation yeah. I and I feel like Bedard also does this thing with his feet to keep himself moving that I noticed in the World Juniors and it was pointed out on the broadcast as well where he almost doesn't take strides he just kind of like shuffles in a way to like kinda walk the blue forward. line yeah yeah it's, I've never seen anybody else do it
0: it's 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 unique and I I still don't know how I feel about it. But listen, it clearly works for him. He's breaking records left and right. He's literally the the best draft-eligible scorer at the World Juniors in a single season. Yaramir Jagr had uh, 18 points in seven games. Connor Badar had uh, 22, 23. 23 that's just abs- yeah. It's absurd. It's just really good. I mean, no one else is as efficient as Connor and that's why he's the first overall pick. He's just complete in every way. Um, it's like if you took um, Austin Matthews' shot and put it into Patrick Kane's body it's just you know th- just adding that, that elusiveness it's ridiculous i i i don't think there's a more shifty and elusive player in in, in this draft and i think even in the past maybe five six drafts than than connor bard i think he rivals um connor davitt's elusiveness and and shiftiness and ability to to get free from defenders and i mean yeah. it, i just love this prospect it's i i've honestly just it's come to a point where i'm not even really watching regina pats games cuz there's just no purpose like, he's playing on a terrible team that refuses to trade him. And he's just carrying his team every night. I don't think there's anything left to scout in Bedard's game, really. I think it's just, yeah, he's a first overall pick. There's no doubt about
1: it. What I'm surprised by with Bedard is how he's not like more bored in junior. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he is to an extent. And mm-hmm. there's probably things that you can point out in his game. Mm-hmm. But the level of dominance, even as a 17 year old, I feel like a lot of players are guilty of just like not trying anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially on a bad team. So yeah. I, I guess that also like gives him an extra character prop. Right. But uh, yeah. there was a couple comments here. I just want to point out. Uh, Denny asks about, uh, what about a little guy called Cole Caulfield and his shot and Ovechkin? I think I'll, I'll step in slightly for, for Hattie on Ovi. I feel like Ovechkin has a great shot, but I don't know if he's ever had like the best shot in the NHL what has made him special is his ability to get into it, like find his open ice, find lanes and just always shooting.
0: Yeah. Nobody shoots as much it. as him. He's not accurate with it. He just constantly beats goaltender to posts. And that's just elite positioning and a, a tremendous one-timer. He's got a blast on him. His, his shot is to me, the most powerful um, among forwards, but With Bedard, you know, just to give you a comparison, like if you put Alex Ovechkin on a breakaway and Connor Bedard on a breakaway, you do that 100 times each, Bedard completely blows Ovechkin out of the water. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. I I don't think. Is
0: money on breakaways? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure OV was ever even that great at shootouts, right? Like
0: he was pretty much average at shootouts. Yeah. So it's
1: one of those things where like. Ovi is a guy who fits perfectly into like uh, cycle offense, and he can create offense off the rush too, Mm -hmm. but he almost is better if there's a defenseman there with him because he uses their body. It's like his tools for scoring are different than just having a great shot. It's like the combination of positioning and uh, lateral mobility, I guess, and Mm -hmm. also I find just persistence, right? You think of that goal against Arizona that's like, always on the best goals of all time lists. Yeah, He just wants, like, I hate that he wants it more thing, but he literally does want to score more than it's anybody sheer, else It's ever. sheer willpower
0: with Oveshkin. It's ridiculous. It is. He, he wills the puck in the net half the time. It's just, for me, he's not the type of guy who's consistently going to pick corners. You know, like, for me, that's the difference for me between Cole Caulfield and Alex Oveshkin. Caulfield is exceptional at picking corners, um, but he doesn't have all that power. He has a quick release. It hits the back of the net quickly, and it's because of his short um, sort of fall through. But Alex Ovechkin is just—he—he he is the the monster truck of NHL shots. He just—he bulldozes truck. through everything, through through limbs and chests. It just—it hits the back of the net, and it, like before you can blink, it's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, Kay says. Yeah, I don't think the power of the shot is the biggest factor here. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I feel like the things that. And obviously I'm not a scout, but I'm just trying to think of like the things that you would use to evaluate a shot. It would be things like accuracy, power, and like the different kind of releases you have, like speed of release, Mm -hmm. like where you can get the puck off from like different positions. if you can shoot it like when it's behind your skates kind of thing or like far in front of you. Some of the stuff that Matthews does, like when he was a rookie, are things that you hadn't really seen before at the NHL level. Right? Like it's it's adding new skills to make mm-hmm. his shot more deceptive yep. and uh more powerful in certain situations and just be able to get shots off where other players would like fumble the puck. Yep. It's there's so many little things that go into it that you can miss if you don't know what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, no, the, the I think the, the four types of shots I look for is um off their strong leg, off their weak leg, off their inside edge, off their outside edge. So, you know. With that, with those four elements, you can combine those and see sort of the different shots in a player's arsenal Um, and their ability to shoot off balance, their ability to um, corral pucks in tight or or further away from their body and still get sort of decent velocity on it. Um, But the most important thing for me is mechanics. Uh, And that's one thing Austin Matthews has down pat. I mean, No one in the NHL has better shot mechanics than Austin Matthews, but no one outside the NHL has better shot mechanics than Connor Bedard. So that's why I think they're comparable in that sense in terms of their goal scoring abilities. Both of their mechanics are just flawless. Um, There was one play where Bedard was on his off leg, uh, off balance on his outside edge, and he was still able to just snipe a curl and drag shot. And that to me, is just, it's, it's, you can't really describe that in a way that sort of makes sense um as a scout. It's just it's almost magical. And yeah, that's what I love about Bedard is he's constantly able to, you know, no matter what position he's in, he's going to find ways to shoot. And especially off the rust, especially one on one, his ability to change the angle of the shot, to use his defender, the defender in front of him to um sort of screen the net minder. He's constantly hitting corners. It's just it's an exceptional goal scoring ability. And it's absurd to me that he might not even be the best goal scorer in this draft. It's just it it doesn't make sense. This draft is ridiculous.
1: It is, it is a ridiculous draft. It is one of those drafts where it's really gonna pay off for the Canadians to have two and possibly even three first first round picks, as we keep on hearing from every insider that Joel Edmondson is gonna get a first round pick. Obviously, it's not gonna be <laughs> The same situation as the Charot pick, where it could be in the top half and even in the lottery. But
0: yeah, I mean, a
1: a low first round pick for Joel Edmondson in this draft still is a hilarious overpayment.
0: Yeah, congrats in advance to Ken Holland for that pickup. I think (laughs) I think that's it's already said and
1: done. Oh God, they better win the cup if they do that. That's all I gotta say. Definitely. Oh my God. Um, let's see if I have any questions here. Over the last little thing here. It says, How many times has Connor Bedard split a goalie mask open with a breakaway slap shot from the hash marks? Ovi at least ten. I mean, I'm guessing he doesn't use a slap shot very often because it's it's just gone out of style.
0: It's a party trick at this point. <laughs> like mm-hmm. off the breakaway. It's 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 the thing you do in a five-goal blowout. Um, you know, when when you've got a break, like your eighth breakaway of the of the period. Like that's when you pull out the 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 breakaway slapper, um, or if you're David
1: Darnay in the shootout.
0: Oh yeah, no for sure. Dave, David was fun with that. He, he, he was, was, yeah.
1: <laughs> I feel like somebody else did that on the Canadians too. I think it might have been Matthew Dandino back in the day. He used to pull out a slapper on the breakaway.
0: Oh, you just revealed your age there, you? <laughs>
1: trust me, I know. I was chatting <laughs> with somebody like earlier, like yesterday, about like the 1990s. Six one, Can- yeah, it was it was today, I think, talking about like Thomas Vocun, oh because i I'd, I'd retweeted uh Paul Paduti who does like the it's a his at his adjusted hockey, he's done the show before, mm-hmm. and he does like Hall of Fame analysis, yeah, and he put out like the goals saved above average for i guess post expansion, and mm-hmm. no broder was on there, and I was like, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> No Brodeur on the top of all time. <laughs> now, you know, it, this means it's a good list. Mm-hmm. And uh, people were talking about Thomas Vokun being on the list and how he was the Canadian's pick, or the natural progress pick from the Canadians in the expansion draft. They're yep. like, who else could they have picked if the Canadians like, protected somebody different? So we went down that rabbit hole and, oh boy, it was depressing <laughs> from a <laughs> Canadian's perspective. Yeah. They protected a lot of players on a team that was not very good.
0: <laughs> I, I, I could assume so.
1: Yeah, the 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 uh, the whole era is not to be repeated. We'll say that. So hopefully, the Canadians uh, are a lot better than that in the next <laughs> couple of years. Here, uh, I'm going to ask you one last question, Hattie, before we promote your work and uh, say good night to everyone here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Who do you think is like? What's your most controversial opinion about the upcoming draft? Who's the player that you think has the most potential to rise that we haven't talked about yet?
0: Oh, that's a good one. Um... I kind of want to say Andrew Crystal, but he's just showing up more and more in top ten, so I don't think that's fair. Uh, let me go down the list here. Oh, Gavin Brindley is one that i've I've had a, a lot of discussion with, and he was lower on my on my rankings when the year started and even having him in the first round for a couple months. Um but he's crapped my top fifteen. and a lot of a lot of guys I've been talking to have said, you know he doesn't have the tools as a small guy, get five nine hundred and fifty ish pounds. Um, the lack of tools is going to burn him all that. I think he's a better rush defender right now than half of the the defenders in this draft. Um, He's a tremendous PKer. Uh, He's got outstanding relentlessness constantly. He's just zooming everywhere, constantly making plays. He plays at a high pace. I would actually like to see him slow down a time or two. I think that's one of the main teachings for him um, that's going to unlock a lot more offense. But I think uh, Gavin Brindley has the capability to become a second-line player. Um, and yeah, to have Gavin really in my top 15, when a lot of te- scouts and te- scouting teams I've talked to don't even have him in the first round. I think that's my big one. Um, I'm actually hesitating on maybe putting Zach Benson ahead of Leo Carlson right now. I'm still sort of debating on that. So that's another one that I think could, could be controversial.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Benson seems to be getting a lot of hype lately and oh, uh, Carlson, it seemed like he was getting a lot of hype right before the World Juniors. And I feel like he had a really great World Juniors, didn't he?
0: Yeah, no, he absolutely did. He was one of the best players for Sweden. Um, Zach Benson wasn't even there, which is just absurd to me because between him and Caden Bank here, I, I I think that Zach Benson would have had a better influence on the play. But it's the World Juniors and they're like that. Um, Zach yes, Benson, to me, true. might, yeah, he might just be the best. Um, he might just be the two-way center that a lot of teams are looking for. Um, yeah, I
1: think I I saw you tweet that uh, yeah. in the last couple of days here. He's, he's uh, so I guess before I let you go, actually, we got a couple of comments here saying, "No, wait, ask about the goalies." So uh, at, uh Dina Zulu asked if there's any general generational goalie in the pipeline. Let's just say, do the Canadians have a good goalie in the pipeline? Because I'd be yeah, like, g- like, no generational. Generational and I guess is a like, big word. Yeah, it is a big word. Um, and the other question was uh, in the draft, who is like who are like the top goalies for you?
0: Okay, so with the Habs, I really like Jakub Dobesh. I'm still not sure how he pans out because the NCAA is just a very weird league in order to sort of determine goaltender talent, uh, cough, cough, Caden Primo. But um, I, I think for this draft, I, you know, I had Michael Hrabal until very recently in my first round. I've kind of changed my mind on that, uh, watching a couple of recent games of his um, for Omaha. So right now I've got three goaltenders, um, two in the top 50 um, in the second round, the the start of the second round, and one in my honorable mention, so probably a second rounder as well. Um, Michael Hrabel is the second ranked one. I really, really like Trey Augustine, now that I've watched a bit more of him, uh, the goaltender for the NTDP, he's breaking numbers um, in in terms of, you know, stats that he's putting up right now with the NTDP. Uh, And the other one would be, um, it would goodness, yeah, Carson Bjarneson always forget that name uh he's a goaltender for the Brandon Wheat weak kings i i think he's lower ranked than the other two um but you know michael rawball i think is the most nhl translatable one you're almost getting a certain nhl goalie i just don't know whether he's going to be sort of a bona fide starter or sort of a fringe backup type thing um he's huge 6'6 200 pounds um covers a lot of net really good positioning i just think that Trey Augustine's combativeness really makes up for his lack of size. He's 6'1", 180 pounds, but he just, he's really athletic, covers a lot of net despite his size, uh, moves extremely well in the crease. He, I think, I think Augustine is a top goaltender in this class. And even he's at, uh, 46 in my rankings. So.
1: Yeah. yeah. So opportunity, I guess, in the second round to grab at least one pretty strong goaltending prospect. Yeah. Um, Thanks so much for joining us here today, H- Hattie. Uh, make sure you uh, let everyone know where they can find your work.
0: Yeah. So uh, if you search up Hattie Kalakesh on pretty much any uh, social media, you'll find me. I'm on YouTube. I've got my own channel. I'll, I'll start a video series on some QH- QMJHL prospects with data analysis uh, pretty soon. I've got the Locked On NHL Prospects podcast. Taking a little break from that, but I should get on it. Um, should have an episode out by uh, Friday or Saturday. I'm on Twitter at HattieK underscore scouting. Um, that's pretty much it in terms of where you can find me. But I think Twitter is the most reliable place to keep up with my work because I post everything there.
1: Perfect. And uh, before we close out tonight, let me just speak just shortly about this whole Ivan Provorov thing, because I said my piece on, on Twitter and, you know, got the replies from the usual suspects. but. One thing that stuck with me, I was kind of scrolling through TikTok earlier today, and there was a video by uh, John Green, who I don't know if any of you follow him. I'm not the hugest fan. I like his brother Hank a little bit more, but he brought up a great point. He was watching uh, a football game, European football, between Wrexham who, and another team. And uh, Wrexham is obviously the team that Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rob McElhenney bought, and they have the documentary about. But uh, a, a big fan, like part of the big supporters group in Wrexham had died and they were doing a moment of silence, and one guy in the like opposing fan section said, like, that guy's in a box, like a coffin, and immediately other people in that group went from being silent to joining in on this chant about, like, this fan fucking dying, Mm -hmm. right? One asshole gives, like, the opportunity for other assholes to collect, so that's why it's important to continue to push back on things like Provorov refusing to wear a pride jersey and for all of our amazing LBGT etc fans um, and and viewers uh, we love you and you are welcome here and for Ivan Provorov um, they weren't asking you to fuck somebody they were just asking you to say that they exist and that they're welcome and I'm sorry but that's not against your religion it's just not it's not in the bible and I don't care how hateful your church is it's not an excuse so uh, that's my piece on it that's all I'm going to say on it. And if you don't like it, you can have doors over there. We don't care. <laughs> I'll see you later. All right. Join us next time. We'll be back on Saturday. See you then.
0: Game over. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.